Lots of racism this week. Oh my god, it's endless. God, it's. I mean, are we I, like I, I? Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, Julia Bethavali. Hi, Patrick Hines. Girl, before we get to the show, hey, it's been a minute since we told the people about the Patreon and what they can find there and why they should join us. Yeah, that's where we do. We do, like, after parties. We also send you fun stuff every once in a while. And we also do, like, the long-form series. So yeah. the things that are, like, a couple of episodes, we right. do it there. So at the $5 level, you get, I think it's over 300 ad-free bonus episodes. God, yeah. it's been so long since I've said that. I, my mouth I know. It doesn't make it make sense. And that's episodes, yes, but also, like, downloadable things like our after parties and just, like, AMAs and catch-up sessions yeah. and but stuff. wait, let's tell them some of the stuff we've covered over there. So like the staircase, the jinx, all the old school stuff, the Scott Peterson case, yeah, the Jody Arias. Yep, Jody Arias. We've covered tons of mafia stuff, yeah. culty stuff. Oh, Starved Rock, Heaven's Gate. Yeah. What are we doing right now? We're doing Wild Crime, and then we're doing the Tetris Murders. Oh, we're, and Pepsi Wears My Jet. Oh, Pepsi Wears My Jet. So McMillions. Much, <laughs> so that's all at the $5 level. At the $10 level, you get the regular episodes ad-free. Join us on the page. It's patreon.com slash truecrimeobsessed, or go to our website, click on the Patreon link. If you want more Jillian and me, that's where you'll find it. Yeah, and there's like a lot there. Yeah. Almost almost too much. Like, I want to apologize. Right, bit. totally. Yeah. All right, girl, what are we talking about today? So we are talking about, it's called The Disappearance of the Millbrook Twins. It's on Oxygen. This is the first case of missing twins that are still missing today. They should be America's twins, and nobody knows about them. Police didn't do nothing. Anybody that was our color was runaways. I just can't believe no one knows anything. He doesn't want to be exposed for the lousy investigator that he is. I want them to help me find him. The twin's father hung out with people who committed murders. An apparent serial killer was operating in their neighborhood. What if I told you that I know where you could find them? Tell me something good, Ernest. Tell me something good, bro. We're in Augusta, Georgia, and we open with Miss Louise. It opens in a pretty compelling way. Yeah. So, Danette and Jeanette Millbrook were 15-year-old twins missing since March 18th, 1990 in Georgia. Yeah. And Miss Louise is their mother, and she's about to start this interview. Yep. And one of her daughters, Shantae, is reminding her how high the stakes are, saying, like, you have to do this right. This is a game changer. We're telling the story on television. Like, Mom, you got to nail it. And I was she... kind of like, let her live. Like, let this woman has been fucking through it. Leave her alone. And that's sort of what Miss Louise... Louise says, because she's like, After Shantae, I was just tired. What do you mean you was tired? I'm trying. So what you want to do? I want them to help me find them. I'm so tired of fighting for my girls and no one else is doing it. Because it all feels hopeless to her. It's been 30 years since these girls went missing. Yeah. And like no one no one helped her then. No one's really helping her now. Oxygen is here trying to save the day. Yeah. We'll see. Laura and Paige are here. But the thing is like from the beginning we're just talking about the racism. Like any black person that went missing was just a runaway. And the cops yeah. didn't care. They didn't look. They didn't even try. And there's no accountability. Like that, Zero. that's the thing. You know that like no one was going to do anything 
thing about the cops not giving a shit because of the just like systemic racism that has always existed. Yeah. God damn it. I know. I know. And so Laura Coates, did you recognize Laura Coates? She's a former federal prosecutor. She did the Martha Moxley documentary. Oh, I was going to say Laura's the Maggie. She's back. Okay, yeah. great. And then Paige Reynolds is a former homicide detective. So he there's... was on my nerves until he wasn't. Okay, great. Yeah. Oh, what happened? <laughs> I thought he wasn't adding much. Like, oh. I let the women do the work. I think Laura's got it. Got it. But then, like, he really shows his, like, what he can do down the road. He really does the, like, let's, you know, I'm going to level with you here. He yeah. does that very well. But they're teaming up to get to the bottom of this and to bring their expertise to the case. Yeah. And, you know, like, it opens with them sort of standing at the scene of the crime, like, the place where the girls were last seen, March 18th, 1992. Yeah. I mean, they were on their way home, and then they vanished. No one's seen them since. The family doesn't know what happened to them. And the family doesn't think that they've ever had a real investigation. There was never a proper investigation. A lot of times in these documentaries, they'll go back to like the police reports and there, it, there there's none any. of that. There's, it, which is crazy. So yeah. now we meet the, the ladies from the Fall Line podcast. Yeah, a minute on the Fall Line podcast. Yeah, Laura and Brooke. Laura and Brooke. This podcast has been around for a really long time. It is one of those like super high quality indie podcasts. Like long form investigation. Yes, they're on the Exactly Right Network now, which is like Karen and Georgia from My Favorite Murder. It's yeah. their podcast network. They are super victim focused. Their research is incredible. They're their podcast is like so well made. If you don't know the Fall Line podcast, they're doing the real good work. Yeah. Go listen to them. Yeah. And so they did this long form investigation in 2017 yes. and got people interested in this case again. I just want to say one quick thing that Laura, one of the hosts of the Fall Line says, this is where their want to do this investigation comes from. Yes. She says, if my kid went missing, I'd have a dozen services trying to help me. This family had no one but their friends, community, and their church, and they kept going anyway. Right. Laura is just saying, everyone, look at your, if you are white, look at your white privilege uh -huh. and see how it's different from, than what this family experienced. Right. Speaking of white privilege, the yeah. golf masters <laughs> happen in the fancy rich part of town every oh year. Oh my God. And someone's like, seriously, everything we live for happens for that one week in April. <laughs> I know. It I gets know. me out of bed in the morning. I can't. The um, golf masters? Golf. I know. I know. I, I don't understand the golf, but they're saying like, this is where the town is divided. You've got one side of this broad street right. that is where like the low income people live and the other side is like where the masters happen. Like the fancy rich white people. And they're saying it is so easy to see the line. Right. You know? And Laura and Brooke say, like, that's kind of, I mean, they named it the fall line for a lot of reasons, but yeah. one of it is, like, you can actually see where everything changes. Exactly. So, Laura, the former prosecutor, can we go with podcast Laura and Brooke? Because we got two yeah, Lauras yeah. here. I'm okay, like, I have Laura, the prosecutor, Laura, the podcaster. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So, prosecutor Laura and Paige, the former cop, sit down with the family, and they learn about the missing girls. Yeah. So, the girls' sisters are here. The sisters are Shantae and Jennifer. The twins were the older siblings. No, they was fun, but like, we were like normal kids, playing in the yard, picking pecans. We used to play music on the TV and we'll get in the line. Since I'm the youngest, I'm in front. And we would all say our names and we would all, you know what I'm saying, shake our little hips. Lots of happiness and smiles. And then their father was a piece of shit. So John Millbrook is yes. the twins' father. And he was a bad guy. He was violent. He was mean. He was abusive. He abused their mother, Miss Louise. Miss Louise, even when the mention of his name, her whole face changes. Right. And Laura, the prosecutor's like, tell me everything. I know. <laughs> and, and basically, like this, he was abusive. He beat her even when she was pregnant. He right. was a bad fucking guy. And she says, you know, my girls were scared of him. And she left him when the girls were two. Yes. Which, can I just say, like, to go out on your own with that many 
any kids two that twins young. Too. I like, mean, the strength of Miss Louise to be right. able to like make that change. I think we scoot past that sometimes. We do, you yes, know, and it's like, I my agree. God, fucking two-year-old twins, and you're doing it by yourself now. Right. Oh my God, going alone is huge. Yeah, add a two-year-old to that, add a second two-year-old to that. Like, really think about and the, what add, that means. Add leaving an abuser to that, which uh, is when we know I mean. women or people who leave their their abusive spouses are the most vulnerable. This woman, no wonder she's tired. Right, Shantae, exactly. let her be tired. She's exhausted. Yeah. March 18th, 1990. Here's the day. The day they go missing. We got up. We got dressed and went to church. Their church van did pick them up that day. And the pastor actually gave Louise some money to get her kids some lunch. The pastor gives the twins money for lunch. Yeah. The twins walk to Church's Chicken and got food for the whole family. And this restaurant is a 15, 20-minute walk from their house. They come home and they tell their mom that a white van had been following them. Like a man in a van. Like a creepy, creepy van. a fucking kidnapping van. Like, holy shit. And then nothing comes of this. Right. We never talk about it again. We kind of do in the end. Yeah. I mean, essentially, like, these girls were kind of being, like, it's a bad, ominous sign. Shit's about to go down. Right. You know? So, now, the twins have school on Monday, and they have to figure out how to get there, because they just moved, and the bus won't pick them up at their new apartment. And the reason they moved was because Mom, Miss Louise, had worked really hard to save enough money to move them into a nicer apartment. Right. But, unfortunately, the way school districts work, their school, like, the bus won't pick them up. Like, oh, my God. I know. Can we just let kids go to school? I I, I could sob for the rest of my life. So they call you want yes okay good. well no. you're nailing it. i want everyone to be happy and have a friend and go to school if they want to and not be in debt for it and everyone to be safe and happy okay good there are like a few people yeah i can count on one hand yeah yeah, yeah. the amount of people i'm like you know what you don't have to be happy i'm yeah. okay with that yeah yeah so they call ted their godfather and he's a 40 minute walk from the new apartment so at 3 p.m they leave their apartment and walk the 40 minutes to ted's house to pick up money. And I guess that's for the bus. It's like a way to get to school. They make it sound like they've been talking about the money the whole time and they introduce the money here. I'm like, wh- I, we don't know what that's for. Right. I'm assuming just like to get to fucking school maybe. Yeah. So they leave his house. They walk to cousin Juanita's house and then to their sister's house. They're all like these different locations are going in this one neighborhood that is their old neighborhood. Right. And then they go to the gas station. Now this gas station is like everyone knows it. It's a real, it's like a it's hub. The pump and shop. It's the pump and shop. Yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> don't shake your head at me. It's called the pump and shop. It is. I just, we got to do better with gas station I names. couldn't agree more. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pump, yeah. I get it. You I know. pump your gas, you and shop, you shop at the, there. I, I They're just totally trying to call it. it what it is. I, which, you know it's what? why I they appreciate. call it Dunkin' Donuts. I take it back. You're Dunkin' the Donuts. I, take, I don't. <laughs> okay. You dunk it in the coffee? I haven't, but that's the that's the visual image they want. I disagree. Okay. <laughs> why would you ruin the donut I know. by All putting right. the coffee on it? Look, we're going to get hate mail for this. I like my coffee light and sweet. I understand. I like coffee. I just don't want to dip my donut. I know people who love to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I married one. I know. <laughs> Get I off will, my dick. I'll dip it <laughs> the best thing about me not liking yeah. dunking donuts and coffee is that you still get to do it if you I, want to. The thing is, That's my not favorite since part about I it. learned I was allowed to say tits, <laughs> have I been so scandalized as when you said, get off my Just dick. Get, leave Just, me alone. Okay. <laughs> Let me eat my donuts the way I want and you eat it the way you want. But the thing is, at the pump and shop, they know the clerk. They chat with the clerk. So they knew the clerk who worked there. She greeted the twins, asked how their new apartment was, asked them how their mother was doing. They said goodbye. She looked away, and then when she looked back, she couldn't see them walking this way. She couldn't see them walking that way. They had completely disappeared. They were gone. 
And the girls are gone. Right. And this person knows them enough. They're like, how's the new apartment? How's everything going? Like, it's not, I mean, they know she knows about their lives. Yeah, but meaning that, like, she doesn't see them walking in either direction, which says to me that maybe they got in that van. And so the twins never come back home. And now they're they're thinking, like, it's a 40-minute walk. They're going to all these houses. They're not yeah. expecting them back in an hour, but right. now it's getting dark out. And now it's scary. Yeah, so the mom and sister are, like, out running around looking for them, and they do this all night. And so they call the cops... And they tell her that the daughters need to be missing for 24 hours before she can file anything. So I guess they hadn't changed that rule yet. I mean, and this is the thing. I just remember this from like my OWD days. Sure. It's like jurisdiction to jurisdiction, person to person. Right. If they just don't want to, like maybe if somebody from the master's side of town had uh-huh. called, they would have right. been out there looking for them. This is true. This is the institutional right. racism they're talking about. Right. Because you have to act fast and things like this. Like time right. is so valuable. So then it's like they can buy 24 hours and not care about it. And then they could say, I'm so sorry. It's bit like, I don't, we don't have any leads. Bye. Exactly. And we're going to learn later that eventually the cops are going to say that like the girls were known to the family and they thought like these terrible cops think less of this family because of what they know about the dad or whatever and they decide like the girls are runaways or not and we don't care they find very creative shitty ways to not say it's because they're black exactly like they just make all of these excuses so they find they wait the 24 hours they call back they speak to detective Jim Ship who I hate who's still alive by the way what fuck J-I-M-S-H-I-P-P two P's in there (laughs) when you google him just give him a call give him a call just want to talk to him let him know how you think he did here I just want to have a conversation. Yeah. He immediately tells Miss Louise, they ran away, girl. Like, just get over it. They're a 15-year-old twin. Like, they just ran away. So now Paige, the former cop, yeah. who you didn't like at first, he's like, how dare he say that to you? He goes, he doesn't know you from a can of paint. And I'm like, first time I've heard that phrase. <laughs> but then podcaster Laura, who I love, says, I've looked at a lot of cold cases and I've seen wonderful investigations. I've seen mediocre investigations. I've seen well-intentioned investigations, but I've rarely seen no investigation. And that's what we saw in the case of the Millbrook twins. I've very rarely seen no investigation. And that's exactly what this is. Yeah. They just and don't give a shit. What I thought was so, I went back to see if I got the quote right. She says very rarely. She doesn't say never. Uh-huh. Because I bet when every time she sees it, it's a fucking person of color. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. yeah. So their family is like, no, 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 they're not runaways. And here's why. Like, right. they were good kids. They loved their family. They were all really close. They did everything together. They just didn't run away. No. And like, so rarely does that happen, you know? Right. The thing about that rule is like, well, we don't want to spend our resources if the kids are just like running and they're partying for the night or can't we do both at once? I agree. Can't we say like we're gonna look into this and then take it more seriously at 24 hours or whatever? And like but what else are you doing? I know. The resources are there for like and if you have a whole bunch of murders and other things like that's great but we have to be able to it's not great. (laughs) That's not what I meant. I meant I understand. Right. Totally. I knew what you meant. That was horrible. So not what I meant. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's amazing. That's amazing. Like, you know who's worse? My favorite. You know who I know is worse than me? John Millbrook, the father. One hundred percent. So he's still alive. He's in a nursing home with dementia, which is not helpful. Yeah. And so here's what we know. We're getting into John Moore now. He was super violent. He was cruel, and he was not interested in helping this case at all. He tells one of the sisters, "If the cops come looking for me, tell them I'm dead. Don't you want to help find your kids?" But doesn't that also tell you everything you need to know? Yes. If he doesn't want to look for the kids and he knows they're not coming back. Right. And like, I I mean, it's just that simple. Right. The cops are useless, but like John Milbrook isn't helping things here. No. And like, literally, it's one thing to not help things. It's another thing to be like, don't look for my missing children. Right. Right. You know? So the Fall Line podcast calls 
Detective Jim Ship, who we hate, yeah. trying to get information. And he says... This broke the other... Ho- this breaks her heart. She, she can barely keep it together telling this part right, of the Right, and I was like, what? I know. So he goes, oh, those two runaways? I did ask him if he thought the twins were alive, and he said, I don't know any reason why they wouldn't be. And then he started laughing, and he said, if you find two dead twins, you let me know. If you find a pair of dead twins, would you give me a ring? Can you <gasps> imagine? Because once again, this is 30 years later. We say this every single time. This is your opportunity to be like... Be a hero! Or just say no comment. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you right. just want to wear your racism on your... You want us to know how racist you're you are. You're, like, making jokes. I know. You're giving, like, a like a quip. To a fucking podcaster. Who's trying to, like, burn it all down, as they should. And who's also going to say that you said that. Like, right. he, Like, he doesn't care that people know that he says that. Yeah, and if he's been on the force for 30 years years he probably either thinks or is untouchable so like what right. are you gonna do well then, you dumb girl is we, what he's saying we also learn about the national center for missing and exploited children nick mick i'm not happy with them in this instance and cmec they're yeah, kind no. of on my list in 1993 we learned that they the national i i can't say that nick mick it's nick mick nick mick national, and this is two years after they go missing by the way right nick mick the national center for missing and exploited children call louise the mother and say don't worry about it the girls have been found. We're not going to tell you where they are or how they they're doing, but they've been found. Now the reason, so we're closing the case. So we're, and the reason, the only way that can happen is if someone from law enforcement confirms it, because Nick Mick isn't just going to do that. Like right. someone in an official capacity has to say that to Nick Mick. It was Jim Ship, right? And he admits it. And he admits it. And and what Louise has been told is that Detective Ship didn't even see the girls himself. He heard that somebody else had seen them. Then. Then, unprompted, he picked up the phone and called the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and told them to close the case. He's like, I'm just trying to be helpful. I'm I'm really all about resources. I don't want Nick Mick to waste their fucking time. But I mean, insane. So, like, why do you even care if the girl, like, if you never looked for them, you are shutting down the, like, any hope that these girls are ever going to be found. I don't believe there's a world in which this ship guy believes that they've actually been seen. Right. And the the thing that is so heartbreaking about it is he's not just doing nothing. Right. He's actually preventing any work being done. Like, sometimes we call that obstruction of justice, I Uh think. But uh when you're a cop, it's just like saving resources. It's unbelievable. And so now we get this like super oxygeny moment in a parking lot. Oh God. <laughs> it's so like it's so staged. I know. It's stupid. It's so staged. But like, so we gotta talk to Jim Ship, right? Yeah. So our investigators here, the prosecutor Laura and Paige, the former cop. Do you like him yet or no? Not yet. Okay, great. I don't like dislike him. He's just not like I feel like he's getting in Laura's way. Just let her do it. Well, guess what? Yeah. You must love this part because that's exactly what happens. <laughs> okay, guys. So we've um we've located Jim Ship. He has agreed to meet, but he does not want to be part of the documentary. Did he say why? For some reason, he uh, is really hesitant about being public about what he knows. So he's only agreed to meet with one of you guys. I'll talk to you, but I'll only talk to one of you and it won't be on camera. Right. Which I think is kind of, I'm not going to use the word Brit. It's interesting that he's even willing to talk to her even off camera. Right. You know what I mean? I guess. Yeah. I don't care. I, I, I just mean that it's kind of like, what what a piece of shit. Like, wasting no opportunity to tell somebody that these kids who he thinks are trash just yeah. ran away. He's going to find another creative way to not say that they're black. Right. <laughs> like, right. Exactly. Asshole. But and 
Laura's black. Let's 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 say that. Right. Laura, the prosecutor, is black, and Paige, the former cop, they're both black. Yes. So they decide that Laura, the prosecutor, will go because she can disarm him. They think he'd be too intimidated to talk to Paige because he's former law enforcement. Uh-huh. And Laura's like, okay, cool. I'm just gonna talk to him like I'm a mother because I am. I'm right. just gonna try yes. to like level with this guy and get like some of the human factor back into his fucking puny brain. And so we see, like, the, the crew's like, we're going to film as much of you as we can, which is nothing. Nothing. We don't hear or see Jim Ship, which no. is exactly what he wants. <laughs> right. So Laura comes back in the car, and she's like, Paige, you will not believe this. It's just kind of unbelievable. This is where Ship says to Laura, and we're hearing Laura tell this to Paige. Right. He says to her, the family was known to us. We knew they were no good. We knew it was the, the kind of environment two kids would want to run away from. So we knew that they ran away. Because she keeps pushing him. Like, what, what do you mean no? Like, she, she's trying to get him to say it, even though it's not on the record in any way. Right. She wants him to say to her, well, they were like black and criminals and like, obviously these, like, th- why would, it, it just makes no sense. He it also makes no tells sense. prosecutor Laura that he spoke, he, Ship, the detective, talked to Miss Louise every week or every two weeks. And she's like, no, in the entire time my kids have been missing, he's spoken to me twice. And Laura says that to Ship. Right. To which Ship responds, I don't know how to explain it other than maybe her IQ. I said, you're telling me that you think that you spoke to her the mother of two missing girls 26 times over the course of a year. And her IQ is why she can't remember it. The only reason she doesn't remember it is because of her IQ. And he's like, 100%. Also, I don't care that the podcasters are saying I'm racist. Right. I don't really give a shit. Like, think whatever you think about me. Like, he's all now defiantly saying, I don't care what you think about me. Oh, you just didn't do your job. At the very least, you didn't do your fucking job. I mean, to not understand what it is like to call the mother of missing kids, I almost wish the conversation didn't happen. Because uh-huh, yes. it's just giving him what he wants, which is a platform to keep, like, re-spewing his hatred and racism. Racism. Yeah, and it all it does is make me mad. It gets us nowhere. I know, it get, and it gets us nowhere. So, 2013, Augusta elects its first black sheriff ever. Yeah, and his name is Sheriff Richard Roundtree. He ran on a platform of community. Yes. He wants to get the case solved. He's saying like, "I'm here for you." He is saying that he's going to solve this case. And what's amazing about him is that he comes from the neighborhood where the two girls went missing from. So remember, this town is divided between like the rich golfers and every and like all the poor people. Golf. And he, I, my right. God, my God. It's and even if you like golf, to watch. Then, I was just going to say, if you like golf, great, great. I'm happy for you. But like in this instance, it just makes these people worse. It does. You know what I mean? It does. And it, I know not all golfers. I, I understand. I but this guy comes from the quote bad part of town. Yeah. And he's now the sheriff and he got like the duly elected sheriff. It's amazing. Right. It's amazing what he's done. And so Laura and Paige go to speak to him and he's like, I mean, plain and simple, an injustice was done to the family. There was no follow up or nothing. This day and age, that's, that would not happen now. You're talking about in the, in the early 90s, there was a dis- different atmosphere here. Do I think there was institutional racism back in 1990? Absolutely. Do I think it exists today? Yeah. Oh, there's absolutely institutional racism. It was happening in the 90s. It's happening now. So he offers Laura and Paige anything they need. And he says, like, I'm really interested in this case. I ran on a platform, partially, of trying to get this case solved. We don't have, a like, a dedicated cold case team. But my detectives, and, like, Paige, one of the things Paige says, Paige is a former homicide detective, so he knows of what he speaks. Right, right. He's like, that's not uncommon for, like, a, a police force of this size. And, like, these investigators, when they're not actively working on what he calls 
hot cases. I'm like, let's call them active cases. He says hot cases. Yeah, hot when they're cold. not working on like active cases, they they have the time to sort of look at these cold cases. But it's a priority. Roundtree says now for him to get to the bottom of this case. Yeah. 30 years later. Right. And so like we're back with the podcasters and they start doing deep dives like trying to find shady characters that maybe were around the family maybe the girls would have known. They're doing that really good work and they're saying like this is like serial shit. They're like look there was like a ring of crimes happening in the very area where the girls lived. Other bad crimes like this were happening to other people. Like this is not surprising that this happened. Right. There's this guy named Joseph Patrick Washington. He was a serial killer active in the area. He abducted women near that very popular gas station. Yes. He would attack young black women who had short hair, exactly like the twins. Like, the podcasters are saying, like, he was never looked into. We have to look into this now. And what's so wild to me is that, like, there's no way the sheriff at the time didn't know this. So, like, for the sheriff at the time to say, like, in his brain to say to himself, yes, sheriff, I know there's a lot of crimes similar to what's happening to these missing girls happening all the time right now, but these these two girls are definitely not a part of that. They right. definitely just ran away. Like, it's what? worth looking into. Absolutely. You know? Of course. So then the podcasters are like, all right, well, what about their dad? He's a bad, dangerous guy. He probably ran with some dangerous people also. Yeah. So we hear about these people, Reggie Cummings and Ernest Vaughns. These friends were involved in drug crime. And there were two murders that happened that were related to one another. And John Milbrook, after the fact, was involved in hiding one of the bodies at the local wow. landfill. And we began to see there was some kind of relationship there. Okay. Between Reginald Cummings, Ernest Vaughn, and John Milbrook. Yes. The twins' dad yeah. helped bury one of the bodies in a landfill. They're just uncovering all this crazy stuff. Which is like, right. And we're finding out that the dad is connected to these murderers, Ernie and Reggie. So remember, the dad, John, is alive and has dementia. So right. he, he can't be of much help here. So the podcasters write to Ernie and Reggie. And Ernie writes back. And so Ernie, he writes back. Back. I know. And they're just like, dear Ernest, like, did you, I, I just, I don't understand. I'm just, I'm saying that like, I'm in awe of them. Like, how do you write a letter asking where bodies are buried and, and do so in a way that gets a response? The thing too, that is so remarkable to me about this kind of investigation and this kind of a podcast is yes. A, they don't have all the resources. They're just doing this because they're driven to do it, right. which is so inspiring to me. But more than that, the patience, the patience of writing a letter, everything is so, like I'm, I was thinking about the Fall Line podcasters and how easy it would have been to investigate a crime where there were police records where you could get access to things the online, easy out. do it quickly, yeah. get responses right away, but instead they found a case that no one ever looked into that they felt that they could help. And like, that's why they did it. And now I'm getting shivers and I feel like I'm going to cry because this is the power of podcasting. This is what podcasting can do. And when you have people like them doing the work, it gets fucking done. Let the women do the work. But also that guy who did the Kristen Smart thing. Right. And Bob Ruff. And Bob Ruff. <laughs> All right, we can... <laughs> I'm just saying the power... The power it's so powerful. Yes. Because the patience to wait, to write a letter and just sit and wait and be like, I'm not going to work on other things. I'm going right. to wait because this is the case I'm working on. And also, like, I would love to see what that first letter was because uh-huh. you have to craft it very carefully to get a response. Totally. To get Ernest to say what he says, which is, yeah, I know where the bodies are buried. So yeah. the podcasters didn't want to ruin anything. I mean, can we like slow down on that for one second? Yeah. He writes back. He's like, yeah, I know where the fucking bodies are. You right. Is that information you want? And they're like, 
oh my God, like it's happening. It's also, and I don't know how any of this works, but the fact that he's not trading that information, that he's not trying to get it reduced somehow, I don't know what he's in for, but like. Maybe we, maybe that's something they left out. I don't know. Yeah. I'd be, I'm so interested in that first letter. Like, how do you start that conversation? I mean, it's just skill. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's skill. So the podcasters are like, shit, this is huge. They don't want to ruin anything. Like they, they really take the time to say like, how do we handle this in a way that doesn't fuck up the case? Like, This is major. What do we do? So they hand the letters over to the police, hoping against hope that they'll finally do something. I called a few times after that, maybe one other time, essentially begging, please. Um, I reiterated, this family's been waiting for answers. This person might have them. The months are passing. Please. Um, And that was two years ago, and nothing has been done. You've heard nothing? From the DA or Richmond County or the police or anything? Not a thing. We knew that the cops weren't going to do anything. Yeah, it's so fucking aggravating. But the good news is they made copies of the letters. Right, exactly. they're smart. So prosecutor Laura and Paige get, like, they're talking to podcaster Laura and Brooke about the letters. They get, like, they're, I I don't know if it's real or not, but their minds are blown by the letter, right? Right. So now they're like, look, we're going to, now we're going to write to this guy. This is so staged. This is so oxygenified. I know, I know. Because... Paige and Laura are like, we're going to write our letter to Ernest now. He responds immediately. And it's like, no, production wrote to him before. Like, are you kidding me? Uh-huh. This was uh-huh. all planned out. They didn't just like, like make a wish on a star and mail a letter and like, oh my God, he responded in two weeks. Like, no. That's oxygen. funny because that's exactly what I thought happened. Oh my God. <laughs> and if it did, prove me wrong. I I'm happy to uh-huh. be wrong. Uh-huh. But let's just, they, we wouldn't be making this if we didn't, you know what I mean? 100%. Come on, You need Ernest's participation. Just say like, production reached out to Ernest. Like, tell me that. Right. And that's, and that's fine. We don't need like that's movie how magic. This is Give me a break. Stop it. This is like if you wish like, upon a star. There are two missing girls here and nobody yeah. gave a shit. Can don't make it like a Hollywood movie. Just uh-huh. like do the fucking work. Uh-huh. No, I agree. So Ernest Vaughn writes back. He wants to talk to us. Yeah. He wants to give information as much as he has it. Okay. And turns out he has a daughter that lives in Augusta, not too far away. And she spoke to her on the phone, and she says that tomorrow we can come by her house, and she's going to connect us on the phone with Ernest Oh, I love it. Go to her house tomorrow, and I'll call, and we'll talk then. Because, again, he's still in prison. Right. So Ernest's daughter's name is April. Her father's been in prison since she was a baby, and she, of course, knows about the Millbrook twins. So... I think April is such an interesting character here. She hates every second of this. She's so uncomfortable. And she should hate every second of it yes. because she's a, an innocent kid or woman. I don't know. We don't know how exactly how old she is, but she sees that she lives alone. Yes. She's an innocent person here who is keeping her father's secrets and wants to do good, but also doesn't want to betray the dad that has been in prison her entire life. And then like the cameras are there and she knows it's going to go out into the world. Yeah. And then you have Laura and Paige trying to get her to say things. But you know and- what? I'll tell you the most... For me, the most powerful moment of this entire documentary happens in this room. Oh, wow. Okay. So we are waiting and waiting for Ernest, the dad, to call. It's been three hours, and it feels like, to me, April, like, has information, but she's super apprehensive, and she doesn't want to say it. But I feel like... When I was first watching this, I was like, what do you know, April? Yeah. What and, do you know? And it's, it's, she definitely knows something. And so when it becomes clear that Ernest is not going to call, Paige, the man, is sort of trying to coax information out of her, and it's not working. Lay, laying it on real thick. Don't let the men do the work. Like, not here. No. But then Laura, and this was, to me, was the most powerful moment in the whole thing. Laura, the prosecutor, is saying to her, I'm going to speak to you as a mom. Mm-hmm. You're a mom. 
I'm a mom. Right. These two girls that are missing, they also had a mom. And oh, now I'm going to cry. Because Laura says to April, the Milbrook twins' mother has been told that they ran away. She knows it didn't happen. I know my girls wouldn't run away. I know that if my girls were gone, they would do whatever they could to get back to me. And I know that if something happened to her, the last thing she would call is my name. Not her father, not her grandmother, not her brother, but it'd be my name she called. My name is the last name, mom. Right. It's the last words that would have come out of their mouth. Oh right. my God, I'm now going to cry again. And that's when April asks for a break. Yeah. And she walks outside, she takes a minute. I feel like I had to take a break. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, these oxygen documentaries can be kind of shitty. Yeah. But this moment in this documentary was very powerful. Yeah. I found it to be very convincing. I mean, she was a prosecutor. Now I'm remembering, like, she's good at this. She's this good is, at this. This is, this, she's a good storyteller. And it's also, but it's right, like, at the core of it, it's like, there are these two missing girls and their family has been ripped apart. Like, you shouldn't have to really, I'm not saying April needed any convincing, but like, it's on a human level. Uh-huh. Don't you want to help this family? Yeah, it's been 30 years. But like, how fucked up is it of like, if, if this is true, I don't know if this is April's story. But she's been raised having loyalty to her dad. She maybe loves her dad. Her dad shouldn't be telling her secrets about murders, you know? I know, I know. It's and a lot to put on. On a fucking kid and then be like, and by the way, don't do the right thing and tell people. Like, right. poor April's in a very tough spot, too. Right. And just maybe I'm being cynical. Yeah. But, like, everyone signed the release papers. Everyone knew Oxygen was coming. For sure. But I do think that, like, the expectation was that the dad was going to call and he's going to tell. And he, right, and he You did. know? So April, so Laura and April have that conversation. Laura's like, I'm a mom. You're a mom. April asks for a break. She comes back in and she goes, Mama just said. Okay. They ain't alive. Okay. I know that. And he can tell y'all exactly where they buried it. He know who did it. The Millbrook twins are dead. And it's like, holy Shit. And she says, Ernest, her dad, told her this. Yes. And then when he told, they were like, well, and then what happened? Like, tell me this whole conversation. And she goes, he told me I didn't want to know anything else about it. I changed the subject and we never spoke about it again. (gasps) Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, this moment is over. And I was like, how does that filming day end? Right. You know what I mean? So, um, so anyway, we have lunch. Like, Some PA comes in and it's like, so who ordered the chicken cutlet sandwich? Someone else is, like, trying to give their mic back. They're, right. they're, are we, is it a wrap yeah. for the rest oh, no, of the no, day? Oh, no, no, your mic's still on. I need, can you come back for a second? Oh, yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. It's just, like, that really crazy, powerful moment. And then, like, but they're it, they're filming right. it. Right. You know? Yeah. The union says we need to take a break. <laughs> right. <laughs> It turns out the prison was in lockdown, and that's why Ernest didn't call. Or so he says. Or so he says. Whatever. But they have another plan, and hopefully he'll call today. So, like, we're all back at April's house. Right. And he calls. And Paige dives right in. He's like, look, we're not the cops. There are two black girls. Nobody cared. Like, we're, we just got to get down to it. We're not going to deal with pleasantries right now. And this was where Paige, like, really showed his value here. He's in level with him mode. Well, because he was a former homicide detective. Right. So he also knows how to get people to talk. And he's speaking to him man to man. He's speaking to him respectfully. And he's also, he wants Ernest to know we're not the cops. Right. We're just trying to get information. Like, you can talk to me. Right. I'm not a cop. And the, the thi- it's also the shittiest audio of all time. Of Everyone's all time. got their fucking ear all the way down on the phone. And Paige is like, tell me something good, Ernest. Like, he's really yeah. trying to be like, this is a good thing that's happening, Ernest. But you know what? This is where Paige really shows his skill because he is a good, he's a skilled interviewer because he's done it for his career and Ernest sort of like starts to give the story and to me it feels like it could be true but also if it's a 
true and it's something that people want, why aren't you trading it for some kind of... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, and and Laura has the same questions later. Maybe it's just time to get it off his chest. And what happened is, because they sort of skate right by this, Ernest and Reggie like committed a murder with the Millbrook twins' father, John. And if you're forgetting who Reggie is, he's the other one that was in prison. Right. So Reggie and Ernest got like a lot, like many years in prison, maybe even life. Yeah. John got like five years. So right. he might- John's Ern- the dad the of the dad. two missing girls. So Ernest might be like, fuck this guy. Like I now have a chance to like hold him responsible. He served five years. I'm still in here. I'm missing right. my daughter. Like maybe he's thinking, fuck John. Well, and so what Ernest's story is, is the day the girls went missing, everything that we know about they went to church, they went to the pumping shop or whatever. Then they got picked up in that white van and they got taken over to their dad's house, John. Now, Ernest was 12 years old at the time. Yes. The Millbrook twins are 15. Right. So John, the dad, had a house in a bad area. He sold drugs. He did drugs, specifically crack. Yes. This is all coming from Ernest. And he sold these drugs out of this house. So when the girls, the 15-year-old twins that are missing, get to the house that day, there's a lot of these people in the house. It's like a drug house. Right. And there and we are told according to Ernest one of the twins got drinking got smoking weed and some of them dudes riding her so they started when she got drunk they took advantage of her and when she got a little bit like a little drunk or a little high, she was sexually assaulted by one of the men in the house. One of the nine men who like older than her on drugs. Like that just feels and so we're talking scary to me. rape. Like we're not yes. talking like we're talking rape. We don't know if it's Danette or Jeanette. We we don't right. know. But we yeah. just know one twin is under the influence. Someone took advantage of that and raped her and is assaulting her. Another twin sees this and goes to defend her sister. One of the, again, all according to Ernest, who was 12 years old. Why, why are there kids in the drug? I know, I, just, I know, I know. One of the men hits the twin who's going to rescue her sister. She falls down. She hits her head on the table. And Ernest is a witness to all of this. Now, that also sounds a little convenient to me, that she uh-huh. hits her head. That, like, we've seen that in every fucking movie. Right. And so, according to Ernest, when the girl hits her head, somebody in the house says, everyone get out. They panic. And then when the girls calm down, they're like, okay, everyone come back. And then they kill the other sister because right. like she like one of the twins fought, fell hit her head and died right they panic and then in order to deal with that they kill the other sister this is what Ernest who was 12 at the time is saying right so then Paige asks Ernest do you know where the bodies are I mean I can tell you where they usually put bodies Yikes. And but he doesn't. So he tells them like an area. It's right. like a place where and so this can lead to like a lot of shit going down. But Ernest is in prison forever anyway. Right. So he's just like, maybe he, he has a conscience. I don't know. But I guess he doesn't have anything to lose because he's already in prison for life. And this is where we start to get names. So like remember the white van that the girl said was following them? Right. And Ernest is saying that's the white van that took him to the house. Apparently that van was owned by a person whose street name was Oodle Boy. And Ernest is like, that was a street name. I'm like, yes, Ernest. I'm, I don't think Oodle Boy is on his birth certificate. I get. And it's all, at this point, I'm just like, I know that that's a street name, but if I, can you tell, what's his name? Nick or something? Right, like, I, right. I'm not going to. Ralph. I have to say, I'm talking about like a murder. I'm talking about assault and, and maybe kidnapping and yeah. murder. It feels like, can I just say his name? Because to say the term Oodle Boy just I know. makes it seem like I'm making light of this but in some way. But also, you know, it's a good thing he did because we will get down the road. The cops know these it's true. names. It's true. Because Paige 
she's like, give me another name. And he says, all right, Little Cheese. Yeah. Who's Oodle Boy's nephew. And and Laura goes, what? I know. And Ernest goes, Little Cheese, like the cheese you eat. Right. Laura is over it. I know. But you, you make a good point because he's like, anyone who was around back in the day knows these names. Yeah. So bring it to your new cool sheriff like, and see what's going on. And so before going to see the sheriff, Laura and Paige drive out to the, the area where they said the bodies might be. This brickyard. It's a brickyard, but it's like, so it's, it's one part junkyard, one part like forest. We need help because I this is not a place we need to be searching on our own. Could you imagine the search area? No. This encompass, from where we're standing, you're probably talking three to five mile radius in every direction. You got to get the sheriff out here, Laura. Yeah. You got to get, we got to get some help. The search area would be like three to five miles. We gotta we gotta call the actual cops now. Right. But it's also like about a mile and a half from where Danette and Jeanette disappeared. Right. So So it's possible. Right. But also like I keep forgetting that Ernst, who's telling the story, was twelve. I know. You know what I mean? And it was thirty years ago. So right. I don't know. I don't know. So Laura and Page go to see Sheriff Richard Roundtree, you know, the first black elected sheriff. Yes, who, who's like vowing to, he like ran on that campaign. Like during his campaign, he was like, I will solve this crime. Like yes. I'm the guy you need. Yes. And so we hear this story now three times. Yes. Yeah. We see Page and Laura tell it to everybody. Right. So she's telling the story that we just told you to the sheriff. And he's very interested. And he's kind of like, look, if what you're saying is true, like we got to go talk to this guy like right now. Right. And they show the sheriff the letter that Ernest Vaughn wrote saying he knows where the bodies and the sheriff is taking this very seriously. Right, right. And so Paige says to the sheriff, here's what I think happened. They get in the van. It appears that this man drives them to a location. The location appears to be a drug house in the 3rd Street area. Pardon me. A lot of questionable, illegal, shady activity were going, was going on in this particular home. The home belonged to the daddy, Mr. Millbrook. The girls were lured to their own father's house by the neighborhood drug dealers yes. because that was the house. And he was like letting people, just, like in exchange for crack, you could do whatever you wanted in that house. Right. It sounds terrifying. Yes. So they're getting these kids drunk and high and then assaulting them. So Paige is like, that's what happened. I'm telling you, like we got the letter from the podcasters. They did all the work for you. Can you just fucking do it? Put a pin in the cops because now Paige and Laura do the least responsible journalistic thing I've ever seen. What? They go to Miss Louise and Shantae. Paige and Laura tell the mother and the sister of these missing girls that story that we told you the that they just told the yes. sheriff. They tell them that story as though it is the gospel of what happened. Right. Without letting the sheriffs do any actual investigation or corroboration. Yeah. They sit down with the family and say, we solved it. Right. Here's the definitive answer of what happened to your kids. And I think it's so terrible. And I think they took that because the sheriff sort of like is chuckling at Big Cheese and Little Cheese and yeah. Oodle Boy. Because he knows the names. He yeah. And Laura's like, something funny chuckles? Like, why are you laughing? And he's like, of course I know those names. So they're thinking, all right, Ernest is on to something. He is, like, the names are right, at least. So then they go to the family. They don't say, here's what we're working on. Here's the story that we heard that we're trying to get corroboration for. They say, this is what happened. And maybe, do you want to hear this? Because it's terrible. Do you want, until we get to the bottom of Uh it, do you want to know now? Do you want these fucking images in your head now? Or do you want us to call you when we get the guy? Exactly. Maybe they asked that off camera. I don't know. But it's very like, I can't believe they're sitting here. But they tell this definitive story from, remember, this story was told to them by a person who was 12 years old at the time, 30 years ago. Right. And this kid, this now man's memory is crystal fucking clear. Right. And 
they tell them this like it's good news. Like, look, we have this information. We told the sheriff. He knows these people. They're building a case for the prosecution. Wheels are in motion. And I'm like, okay, this is all bad. And so then we're back to the sheriff because he assigns, like, lead investigators to this case again. They go out and interview David Vaughn in prison. And then we get this ridiculous side-of-the-road meetup. This is so stupid. Because the investigators that are now investigating this case again, or not even again, for the very first first time, time, agree to meet Paige, who's like one of the oxygen investigators, on the side of the road after they've been to the prison to interview David Vaughn. My fellow lawmen, how are you, sir? Gentlemen, I appreciate meeting you all. Um, Sarge, detective, give me some good news, because I've been hearing a lot of bad news. Tell me something good. We can't really discuss the case right now. Uh, We're glad that we were given the case to try and bring justice to this family and see if we can't find these They won't say a fucking word. And he's like, was it a good day? We can't say a word. And it's like, I understand that, but Oxygen, don't waste my time then. And also, it just makes Paige look stupid. Yeah. And also... (laughs) And another thing. One more thing. (laughs) Because of what we're about to see happen, the cops kind of think Paige is ridiculous. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Do you like him now? When did you start liking him? I liked him, and now I'm mad at everybody. Okay, great. Because this whole thing is going off the rails. Right. Because now we get the on-screen text that says, the Richmond County Sheriff's Office informs the producers that while they have corroborated parts of Ernest Vaughn's account, he's the 12-year-old that said he was there that time. Right. They've corroborated parts of his account. They believe he is describing a different double murder. I was like... What? And then it continues. They have determined this lead is not related to Danette and Jeanette Milbrook and are declining to investigate further. I'm like, there is so much wrong with this on-screen text. It's terrible. Because number one, let's say the sheriff is right and they know something that we don't know. Oxygen has just allowed Paige and producer Laura to go tell the family, to re-traumatize uh-huh. them with a story that isn't true. Right. Right. And or the sheriff is now lying and it is true what they found out. Right. But they either don't have enough evidence to prove it or whatever. And now like oxygen is allowing this other lie to be right. perpetuated. What doesn't make what it, is happening? And what is happening? What doesn't make any sense is that the sheriff is like, Ernest was right about everything except the victims. And right. I'm like, no, that can't that can't be true though. Because the other thing that is that can't be that can't happen. Because what that would be saying, if what oxygen is saying is right, is that yes, Ernest is right. Two 15-year-old twin girls girls were murdered at the Milbrook twins father's house, house but it wasn't them fuck off right? <laughs> but like no but I, I refuse to accept that the thing is but I don't believe the opposite is true I don't also believe that Ernest is telling the truth necessarily and that what he remembers and what he told the podcasters and the documentary is also what happened right it was 30 years ago and he was 12 right and Ernest is like well how dare you Patrick my story is the truth I was there with the Milbrook twins it wasn't anyone else the cops have told me to take it all back and say I made it up so now it becomes this ridiculous ridiculous game of telephone. Ernest Vaughn made a statement that he was told by the investigators not to tell us the truth and to say that he had made it up. I think that's preposterous to even repeat. Um, That doesn't even sound believable. That actually is offensive to law enforcement everywhere. Ernest is saying, no, my story is definitely true. The cops told me to lie. The cops are like, we never told him to lie, but we can only corroborate parts of his story, but we can't tell you anything else. And I'm like, well, are you going to arrest John Milbrook or, one, or any one of the cheeses if they're involved in this? <laughs> the cheeses, big or little? Like, if there's a, if there's a murder, if there are two other dead girls, right. then can we arrest at least one cheese? <laughs> big or little, I, I don't care. But it's just like... 
I think I just need the cops to say none of this happened. Or uh-huh. some of it, like, when they're saying they can corroborate parts of his story, but he's talking about, you could just leave it there. Right. You don't have to then say he's talking about a different double murder. Right. There's another unsolved double murder of twin right. 15-year-old girls? No. Then, then do something about it. Right. And so now Laura and Paige hate the sheriff. And I hate Laura and Paige. I'm over it because they sit down with the sheriff as though they're going to gotcha the guy. Right. And I'm like, you went to the family and told them this. Like, they want us to believe, maybe everyone's going to hate me, but they want us to believe that, like, they got the correct story and now the cops are lying to them. Right. So Laura and Paige, their perspective here is, we got the truth. We got to the bottom of this thing. Now you, the sheriff that's supposed to be the good sheriff, you're lying and now you're also a bad sheriff. And all I'm saying is, I'm not saying it's the truth or not, but Laura and Paige, you have no way to corroborate the story. And also... You both know better. You know that if it really is an active case, which the sheriff says it is, and there are all these investigators, they're not going to tell you anything, and they're certainly not going to do it with cameras there. Exactly. You know better. And so they're trying to gotcha the sheriff, and they kind of get to their end of their questioning, and then something we've never seen before happens. So, because what's happening, and the sheriff, this is infuriating to watch. Yeah. Because Laura's like, what did Oodle Boy say? And I'm like, oh my God. And the sheriff's like, I'm not sure if anyone spoke to him, like just being really cagey. And Paige is like, why don't you give a shit? And then the producer, Sir steps in, which we've never, never seen. seen before. And he's like, I'm sorry, Sheriff. And just if I may, yeah. there are just so many questions here. Like you're saying that Ernest is lying, but he's telling anyone who'll listen that you're telling him to say that. And also what if he's right about some of it, but then there are these two missing other missing girls. And are you doing anything about that? Like he's just like listing yeah. all these questions. It's tough because it is, ain't it? It, yeah, and, and I don't know the best. So I'm that's why I'm you know, we're putting it to you guys. Like we just, ain't no problem. You know, I, it's, it's tough. Cr- criminals lie. All right. All right. Well, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. The sheriff gets up and And walks walks out out. with a stupid smile on his face. Like, all right, interview's over. Yeah. (gasps) I mean, and then, like, it just kind of ends with, like, on-screen text saying that, like, the sheriff is no longer investigating the case. Right. He's just kind of like, that. we didn't get any good information, we didn't find anything new, and unfortunately, there's no leads to pursue here. Yeah, but everyone listening to this, if you have any information regarding the disappearance of the Millbrook twins, call the county sheriff's office at 706-821-1000. I just, I don't, this whole thing falls apart so spectacularly right. in the end. Right. And the fact that they went to the family and said that this is what happened. I know. When I we know. don't know for sure that that's what happened. Right. It's so irresponsible. It, th- this whole thing was very staged and very, um, Up until that like, point I was with it. I thought it was pretty good. I thought we got a lot of good emotional moments. Yeah, I get, it just all felt very like, okay, you rolling on this? I and it know. just, to me, that I takes know. away. So I'm glad we know about this case. I'm glad we have this phone number. I'm glad the Fall Line podcast put this out in, into the spotlight a little bit. Yeah. But I don't think this was very well done. And check out the Fall Line podcast. They yeah. are fantastic. Oh, girl, we did. What's it called? The Disappearance of the Millbrook Twins. Oh, my goodness. Fam, come see us on tour. We are going to be Boston opening night at the Wilbur, June 2nd, followed by Charlotte, Saturday, June 17th. I'm so excited. I can't wait. I'm so psyched. Can I tell them to come see me on tour as well? Yes, if you don't, I'm going to be mad at you. Okay, fam, come see me on tour as well. I'm going to be in Nashville on June 21st. I'm going to be in Detroit on July 7th. I'm so excited. I'm going to be in St. Paul on July 8th, London, August 4th, and Portland Thursday the 10th. 
but that's sold out. So oh, too bad okay. for you. And then Whoa. my official book release party in New York City <gasps> on September 26th, the day the book comes out. I can't I'm wait. doing a whole new chapter. I'm so, so, so excited. What do you wear to that? Like, what should I wear to that? Is that a dressy thing? Ish. It's a dressy-ish thing. Okay, maybe a sequin number? You're going to we'll be like see. a celebrity in attendance, so you better look good. I'm not. No, you're the celebrity. <laughs> this is all about you. And I say that happily. I love you. It's a good thing. What are we doing next? Oh, girl. What is it? Pez Outlaw. <laughs> We're doing it. We are doing it. What is it about? It's about this guy. The Pez Outlaw is what okay. it's about. It's about, like, the Pez industry and how oh, shitty they are, basically. Oh, my. I love Pez, though. Yeah. I mean, I remember it well okay. from when I was a kid. <laughs> but but these are the people who have, like, 800 Pez dispensers, the collectors. Oh, no. There's, like, Pez conventions. <laughs> and Pez is, like, the evil corporation where it's like, can you just let these people have fun with Pez? Uh-huh. No? Great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you for the trailer for that. Yeah. And we love you. Okay, we love you so much. All right, bye. Bye. Welcome to the wonderful world of Pez collecting. You're hooked now. No one knew where he came from. But everybody wanted what he was selling. Pez, it's like printing money. <laughs> <laughs> Being that close to illegal, maybe illegal. This guy was bringing thousands and thousands of them over. Scott was furious that this was happening. And the job was to stop this. I was the threat. And that's when I decided to become the Pez Outlaw. 